Welcome to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is dedicated to helping people love Jesus and the people they encounter every day. Today, you will listen to our most recent Sunday sermon. So sit back, relax, and let Jesus speak to you wherever you may be. And now, this week's sermon. Oh, cool. Well, good morning. Did you guys like having worship unplugged? What's interesting about it is that when you take away, like, the sound enhancement, all that's left is just our worship. Uh, And it can feel really raw. It can feel very, uh, maybe even vulnerable. But it's really exciting that our community can come together and just purely worship God. I love this community for that. Uh, I love this space. I love this church family. And I really, really love Jesus. And and I know we can get comfortable with some of the enhancements uh, of church on Sundays, uh, but it's really good to... It moments, strip it all back and just go really, really pure, really organic to the worship of what God's done. And Beth actually surprised me with it on, uh, well, really this morning, but she she sent me some audio messages like I a couple weeks ago. She's like, I got a plan for my the day I'm leading. And I was like, what's the plan? And then she didn't tell me the plan. And uh, so she's like, surprise, we're doing this. And I was like, let's do it. Let's worship God. So um I've been uh, helping lead two of the groups that we've been uh, doing home groups and home discipleship um, for about four weeks now. We're going into our fifth week, and we've been paralleling uh, a sermon series on Sunday with some folks have been following in discipleship uh, this study of redemption. Ephesians 1 uh, talks about the blood of Jesus, and so it's a study on the blood of Jesus. It's a focus on the redemption and what actually takes place in our life Uh, with the blood of Jesus and that redemptive narrative. So it's been a really exciting, fun journey. I lead two of the groups, uh, a Tuesday and a Wednesday men's group, but there are so many groups, and I've been hearing testimonies of what has been happening uh, in our home discipleship groups. And guys, it's so phenomenal and so amazing to not only hear the words of God, but also to share uh, the words that God has been giving you, to share your journey of where you're at with the Lord, This is a huge part of growth, not only to hear it, but also to say it and to speak it and to share it. It changes the way you relate to your own journey. So I want to encourage you to engage in a small group or even the studies are on the, on our uh, media platforms. Uh, We do a sermon and we do a podcast every Sunday. And there's also on our website, there's written out notes and and, uh, questions that you can grab. And it's all to just partner with your journey uh, with Jesus. And so... This is something that I think is really critical for us as a community is that we continue to uh, grow with Jesus and we continue to commit our lives to Jesus. I really love Jesus. Do you guys love Jesus? That's cool. Okay. Uh, I'm going to be preaching today uh, Ephesians 1, and then we're going to focus on 9 through 10. Um, But if you've been following along the last uh, four weeks or so, uh, we've had this very clear uh, foundational place. (coughs) Excuse the cough a little bit. Got seasonal allergies. You guys get allergies? I get an allergy. It drips into my chest. The same thing every single year. And then it cough a little bit. Your body tries to get all out. So that's where I'm at now. Pounding the cough drops, pounding the tea. So excuse the uh, the moments that uh, it breaks. Uh, so Ephesians 1, 9 through 10. Uh, it says, He made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he set forth in him, regarding his plan of the fullness of the times, to bring all things together in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. And this follows in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, 
Um, this follows that narrative, which leads into grace, a rich and lavish grace of God. And that grace reveals the mystery of his will. So as a reminder to what we've been talking about, if you want to know what God's will is for your life, become a really great recipient of God's grace. Uh, don't lean on your intellect uh, and definitely don't try to uh, look for signs to reveal God's will. But first and foremost, as a foundational expression with God, learn to receive his grace and it becomes a really effective revealer of God's will for your life. That's foundational. That's where we've been and that's where we've been discussing. But today we're going to be talking about administration and unity. Uh, and I don't know, do you guys have, do you guys like administration? Is there anybody that's like, I really love administration. I'm down for administration. Any gifted administrators out there? Come on, Vinny. I see you, baby. I love you. Is there anybody else that's just, they love administration, whether they're a gift of administration or they love to experience it? Okay, now how many of you guys don't have a great taste in your mouth for administration? It's not super exciting. It's not super fun. Yep, that's pretty much where I was at. And so I read this scripture and if you read it in that translation, then it says plan. But if you read it in another translation, and we're going to get into the root word on this a little bit, it says, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his kind intention, which he purposed in him with a view to an administration suitable to the fullness of the time. That is the summing up of all things in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. And this word here that we're looking at in one translation says plan another uh, translation says administration it actually if you look at the definition of it in the root word it's the management of a household or of household affairs so when partnering with God and when receiving his grace and when being redeemed by him we're talking about a transfer from one home uh, to another home and there is a way that God manages his household or rather administrates his household uh, sometimes we take into this idea of relationship with God that it's a democracy, uh, that we take in our free will, we take in our ideas, we take in our dreams, and he just signs off on these things. But first and foremost, in a relationship with God, it's critical to understand that this is a Lord relationship. And when we are uh, transferred from uh, this, in Colossians it talks about, for he uh, rescued us from the domain of darkness, Colossians 1, 1.13, he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us uh, to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So we see that there's this administrative transfer that, that God in his infinite wisdom takes us from one governing aspect, from run rulership and leadership, and he transfers us from that domain into his house of God. Now, this house of God operates in a very specific way. You could see it biblically. The house of God operates as such that he is our Lord and our Savior. But critical to this understanding is that we're actually dealing with somebody who we are giving our entire will to. Our entire base of dreams, our entire base of ideas and concepts, the way we live our life, our paradigms, our ideologies. So, in this relationship with God, we might ask the question like, well, where, where do I get, do I get to do anything I want to do? Is there anything a part of me that gets to actually sustain after I give my life to the Lord? Well, you might find that as he, uh, your life gets shaken uh, and as, uh, as he purifies you uh, and he refines you, you might find that there's things he placed inside of you like gifts uh, that he's actually going to cause to thrive 
and have incredible plans on it, you can actually really get into a place where you trust God that his plan, when you forfeit your will, his plan is beautiful. And it's better than the plan you have for your life. But I really believe that this part is actually kind of emotional for us and we get hung up a little bit emotionally. Because we've experienced a mixed bag of administration in our life, and some would even say that they haven't experienced a mixed bag at all, they've just experienced crummy administration, abusive, toxic administration. So for some of us, the idea of yielding ourselves to the house of God and his administration can be one that has some emotional hangups. It's like, well, the last time I served like that, I trusted like that, it was taken advantage of, it was abused, it was manipulated, uh, and it wasn't truly appreciated. So we can say intellectually in our mind, like, I trust God. Yeah, I give him my life. Yeah, God, I give you my life. But we can also have these places of our heart where we get hung up emotionally and we actually start to reserve decisions for ourselves. We get to reserve things of our own will, of our own nature, of our own ideas. And we go, yeah, okay, cool. Like, God, yeah, I give you my life. And emotionally, we're giving him a part of our life and we're keeping a part of our will and our plans. There's been moments and times in my journey where I've recognized that the things I kept and the things I surrendered, I didn't really realize some of the things I kept. I didn't realize that I, I kept anger as a shield in different seasons. So I, I took on the power of, of anger. I took on the power of frustration. And when we begin to realize some of the things that we have kept as a part of our being, uh, we get transferred in the house of God. And in a relationship with God, he begins to transform us into his will and into his being. Now, I told you this is about administration and unity. So the way that this works is that as we begin to be transformed into Christ's likeness, we actually become more unified together. Let me explain and let me unpack this because unity is something that we aspire to and we like the idea of, but it becomes actually really challenging. It becomes really, really problematic, this whole unity um, idea and concept. So if we revisit this concept of with a view to an administration, right, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth, we see that this actually is when we become like Christ and we start becoming transformed into Christ's likeness, we get better at being connected and being joined together. Uh, the, the way this, this works is that if you and I have this relationship with each other, but we don't have a transformation process with Jesus, then we bring in our own humanity and we have a really hard time connecting or being joined to others. Our humanity leads us to have unforgiveness. It leads us to hold on to offense. But then we start to follow Jesus and be transformed by Jesus. And it asks of us a forgiveness and a releasing of offense and that gives us the ability to recover relationship, to grow with people, to grow deeper with people. It becomes a critical bonding agent to this body, and it becomes impossible to achieve unity without the transformation of Jesus. So we get this idea and this concept that, that Christ is the head, and we're all a part of this body. We begin to buy into this notion that I need to become like Christ. So rather than efforting towards being connected to people first, here's my recommendation to you is that you actually effort to be closer and closer to God. 
And in getting closer and closer to God, you're going to find yourself getting closer and closer to your brothers and sisters in Christ. It's like living on two sides of, uh, of the United States and then moving towards Christ, the center of this thing. And you're actually going to begin to get closer to people. You're going to begin to realize like the people that you really hated and didn't like at the first point of your salvation, you spend some more time with Jesus, you become like Jesus, and you start to go, you know what, they're not actually that bad. You know what, they're not actually that crazy. You know what, maybe even, just maybe, they're right. Some wild things begin to happen is that you, you begin to spend time with Jesus, become transformed by Jesus, your mindset becomes like Jesus, your heart becomes like Jesus, and the things you used to believe, the things you used to stand on, you no longer believe and stand on because you've been transformed by Jesus. There's been people on my journey, man, when I first really, like Nazarite vow, I first get into this thing with Jesus in a real way. I grew up as pastor's kid, so I got saved 900,000 times before I was 18, and I don't even think that number is an exaggeration. I'm pretty sure I got baptized multiple times. Uh, and you live this thing, and you're just like, okay, yeah, like this is just totally a part of your life. Uh, you live it. You're at church 19 times a week. Uh, you go to school there. You go to church there. You play basketball there. Uh, you live at church. But really, when I really, really, really started following Jesus, I was 18 years old, and I, I, uh, I go on a Nazarite vow, and I start to separate and consecrate my life to God, and I start to become on fire for Jesus. And here's what's crazy, is that even in that place of ultra commitment to God, which I really don't believe the commitment has waned at all for 15 years now, but even in that place of ultra commitment to Jesus, there are people I looked at and I was like, I don't even really like them. Other Christians, I don't even really like them. I don't wanna spend time with them. I don't wanna talk to them. I hate all of their ideas. Their attitude is poop. It's just poop. I don't want to see them. I don't even want to talk to them. And maybe I wasn't always honest with myself, but there was a reality to this thing that as I became more like Jesus, I found the capacity to be joined to other people more successfully. Stay in your humanity and tribalism and division will be natural to you. Yield to Jesus and he will conjoin, he will join you together with others. And there will be a harmony that begins to exist between you and others. And it won't matter your history. It won't matter your race. It won't matter your ethnicity. It won't matter whether or not you like Mexican food or not. Even though I had a phone call 20 minutes last night with a friend and I was pitching to him the case for Mexican food being the greatest food on earth. Guys, 20 minutes. I had a whole dissertation, a whole thesis. I had supporting evidence and body to join it. I had a conclusion paragraph. Sure enough, he goes, I can't even believe it. I think Mexican food is my favorite. <laughs> I helped him discover his inner purpose. I helped him discover his design. And I'm deeply proud of it. Verse 18 says, he is also a head of the body, Colossians 1.18, the church, and he is the beginning the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven, and although you were formerly alienated and hostile in mind, in evil deeds, Yet he has now reconciled you in his fleshly body 
through death in order to present you before him holy and blameless and beyond reproach, formerly alienated and hostile in mind. <coughs> the interesting thing is when somebody gets saved and they get entered in the community, they bring in some of that hostile mindsets. They bring in some of these infantile mindsets, these lack of maturity mindsets, and they carry them into community. And sometimes they're incredibly charismatic people or they're powerful people, so they bring in these fractured mindsets, these divisive mindsets with a charisma and a power uh, that can be persuasive at times. But if we read it in Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, we'll actually see all, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the son of God. Check this out, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves uh, and craftiness um, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, I should say, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it was equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. What do we see here? We see a picture of maturity. We see a picture of manhood or maturation that expresses a conjoinedness, a unity of the body. So if you see fractures, you see divisions in a church, if you see fractures and divisions in this church, that's a lack of maturity or transformation in Jesus that's rearing its head in a community. So what to do about it is each one of us presents our bodies to Christ in transformation. And we say, not my will, not my idea of how this should go. Too often we lend to our own ideology about how this is supposed to go. But really what we're supposed to be doing is going, look, not my will, but your will be done. So as I enter into this space of transformation, I actually find myself getting moved by Jesus to being closer to brothers and sisters in Christ around me. This is critical. And this isn't just about a transformation with Jesus where he wipes out your sin. This is about a transformation with Jesus where his strength is made perfect in your weakness. Because you and I, uh, we're, based on our personality and our giftedness, we have an easier time being like God in different ways, right? So like to the evangelist or the teacher or the prophet, right? That person's giftedness gives them a greater grace upon them to be like God in those specific ways. But at the same time, there is a weakness in you and in I, an inability or a struggle to be like Christ in certain ways. And we need Christ, his grace to be released to us in order for us to actually see this thing established in our weakness as well. Grace, as we should understand it, is not just uh, about God dealing with sin in our life, where sin abounds, grace abounds that much more, but grace is more than just dealing with sin. Grace is also about building us up in Christ's virtues. It's about establishing and building something. It's not just about eradicating bad. It's also about building up Christ-likeness. 
So when you and when I become like Christ, we begin to actually move towards one another the way Christ moves towards us. We begin to forgive the way Christ forgives. We begin to release grace the way uh, Christ releases grace. And this is a wonderful daily exercise. I find that as I'm on this journey with Jesus and I see others on this journey with Jesus, we begin to dig deep in this thing and you begin to unearth some really broken places that don't love people well. You begin to unearth some judgmentalism, some hardness of heart. You begin to unearth some woundedness, some, some bondage. How many of you guys on your journey with Jesus have unearthed things inside of you that are darkness, that are hateful, that are spiteful? You think you're doing pretty good, and then you have a dream where you're killing some folks, or you're lusting, or you're, you're doing some stuff, and you're like, man, where did all this hate come from, man? I was sure I was perfect. I, like yesterday, I was sure of it. Then I went to bed, and now I'm in trouble. And there, there's this subconscious revealing that takes place in our, in our sleep that's really actually helpful to pointing us in the right direction. So if you're struggling with deep anxiety in your dreams, understand that you have a fear dynamic in your life that you've got to handle with Christ. If you're dealing with these things and you don't see them in your daily life and they're coming out in your dreams, then you've suppressed them to the point that they can't enter your, your conscious existence, but they're coming out in your subconscious when you're dreaming. So they're a part of who you are. They're stuffed down real, 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 real deep, but they're still a part of who you are. Dig deep with Jesus. It might be short-term bad, but it'll be long-term good. When you dig up brokenness and woundedness, at first you're like, what a mess. I should have left this thing buried. I should have left this thing in the ground. You dig up that sin in my life, causes all kinds of issues. You dig up those broken places, that anger, that unforgiveness in my life, it causes all kinds of issues. <coughs> so the idea initially can be, you got sin, you got brokenness, hide it. Bury it down real deep. But this is the same thing Adam and Eve did, right? They sin, and what do they do? Try and hide from God. It's the great trick of the enemy for us to do a thing that's wrong and then to hide from God. The one person who could repair it, the one person who can redeem us, the one person who can not only wipe it out, but also build us up. Effective change. Until we all attain the unity of the faith, See, he's doing this work in us as individuals, but he's also doing it in a way that affects how we connect and or we relate to others. In this reality, I really, I really believe racism, I really believe uh, socioeconomic judgments of one another, they begin to fade away in this relationship with Christ. So you stop seeing people through the prism of race or money. You stop seeing people through the prism of height you start seeing, stop seeing people through the prism of weight uh, or of vocation, and you begin to see them through the prism of Jesus' perspective of people, which looks to the heart of the situation. It looks to the actual fabric of an individual, the integrity of them, the virtue of them, uh, the kindness of them, the love of them, the truth of them. It begins to actually have us looking at people, not for these other surface-level compositions, but it begins to have us look at people with a deeper understanding of who they are and connecting with them in a deeper way, loving them in a deeper way, praying with them in a deeper way. So, so this is my wife back here. She's with our little new baby puppy. 
he's a French bulldog, and the church gifted it to us. It was so kind. He has a name now. It's, it's Wally. Yeah, yeah, it's Wally, like Wally West, but his whole name is Walnut because our other dog's name is Honey Lulu, and so we've got, like, food stuff. I guess that's a thing for us. And so his name's Wally, and so this is my wife, Jessica. We've been married for 14 years. We have four kids, and they're amazing. Brixton, and then we have three girls, Brightly, Presley, and Monroe. And uh, so we've been married for, oh, look at that, that's our dog. Uh, so we've been married for 14 years, and we, uh, there's this concept of marriage. And the concept of marriage as uh, a Christian is that Yes, you want to grow closer and you want to work on your marriage, of course. But the deep success in intimacy is achieved when both parties are effectively pursuing a deep relationship with Jesus. And as they're pursuing a deep relationship with Jesus, it brings them closer in intimacy together uh, than if they were not pursuing a deep, affectionate relationship with Jesus. There's things that Jesus does in you and in I that we cannot do on our own that make for better partners and make for better friends and make for better family. So do, do any of you feel like you had a pretty dysfunctional family growing up? Anybody feel like their family wasn't dysfunctional? It's like, I think everybody can kind of see the dysfunction. And this isn't a bad thing, right? This isn't asking you to accuse or judge your family. But the point is this, is that when you begin to see the dysfunction of an earthly family dynamic, you begin to understand that Christ's household, the administration of his house, is not based on earthly dysfunctional family paradigms and models, but it's actually based on his heavenly father, that paradigm and model mirrored between him and his son. And then you begin to see that dynamic and you're like, well, there's a thing here that is unlocking inside of me an understanding of how it goes. And Robin's testimony of like, hey, my pursuit is to behave like my father behaves. And when I don't behave like him, I begin to understand like that's not how my daddy's raising me in heaven. And this understanding begins to connect to us on a very pragmatic level. So it doesn't just connect on church dynamics and how we behave in this church. It actually connects on every relationship we have across the city across the nation, that this reconciliation pattern, this ministry of reconciliation that's been given to us is not about occupying a church volunteer job. It's not about doing one of these roles up here, playing a guitar, singing, playing the uh, bongos. I want to say cajon. Bongos. Bonga? Conga. Tim, you led me astray, man. Come on now, what's going on? <laughs> I'm sorry, Clayton. I'm killing you, Petey. I'm killing you. But it's not about occupying one of these spaces. It's really not, right? Ministry is much greater and deeper than some of these specific jobs we narrow it down to. Like, hey, brother, what's your ministry? Well, I got a ministry where I feed the homeless. No, 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 no. Look, that is like a stem all the way down to the very basic of action but the real ministry that you have and I have is a ministry of reconciliation. So I feed people not just so they're not hungry anymore, but it's an effort to meet a pragmatic need so that eventually and perhaps just maybe we will have an opportunity for their soul to be reconciled to Jesus. 
Because that's what this is all about. So it begins to define all of my approach, not just in this church. So I preach with an effort to reconcile you to Jesus and for me to be greater reconciled to Jesus. Every single Sunday, every single week, every single home group, it's like, hey, let's talk so that we can actually get closer and be repaired in our relationship with Jesus more and more and more. And this isn't just like, hey, Jesus and I are, are on good terms, we're talking. No, this is the fabric of who you are being reconciled to match the fabric of who he is. Much loftier, much more difficult. It means that it makes illegal in him the behavior of dishonesty, even when it's for your own convenience. So you begin to spend time in the house of God and you begin to realize that in the house of God, you don't lie. You begin to spend time in the house of God, and in the house of God, you realize that you don't lust. You begin to spend time in the house of God, and you realize you don't murder. You realize you don't hold on to bitterness. You don't hold on to anger. You don't hold on to these things. You begin to realize that in the administration of God, it goes different. And then it gets challenging, because you're like, well, I'm not sure. I'm ready for all that. Because if I don't have those things from the domain of darkness, because let's not be mistaken, the domain of darkness, the house of darkness, it has resource. It has competency. It has core values. It has a character. It's just a wild character. It's a violent character. It's a divisive character, one that protects itself through dishonesty, one that protects itself and advances itself through misrepresentation, it protects and advances itself through anger and bitterness. It protects itself through walls rather than connection. It protects and advances itself through taking from others rather than giving to others. <coughs> you begin to see the way the house of darkness operates, and then you begin to understand when you're living in the house of God how his house operates, how it administers. I really believe as Americans, sometimes it's hard for us to understand this Lord concept because we are living in a democracy. We are free, right? We can do like pretty much whatever we want with, to some degree. And this concept of democracy, sometimes we'll take it and we'll apply it to God. We'll be like, dude, I love it. God, let's live in this democracy. So I have a vote. My family has a vote. Everybody's got a vote, you know? I have some friends that are moving. And every time a friend moves, I'm just like, dude, I didn't vote on that. Like, did I get a vote? I should get a vote. You know, you should warn me like a decade ahead and then like give me lots of time to change your mind. Like, I didn't get a vote. I'm not a part of the democracy that dictates and determines where they're going in life. Otherwise, if I was, I would rally votes for them to stay. I'm positive I would win the count. So we get into this relationship with God. We start moving into this house of God. We say that beautiful prayer of salvation. We're like, yeah, God, I give you my life. Be the Lord of my life. And it's this passing comment. It's this passing comment, right? Be the Lord of my life. Cool, awesome, 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 awesome. And all of a sudden, you get introduced to the house of God and your will, your way must be submitted to God. Entirely. It's not a vote. It's not a popular vote. 
It's not reflective of the will of the people. It's not a representative leadership. <coughs> Excuse me. And when you're living in the house of God, you're living with a father that is absolutely supposed to be surrendered to and yielded to. Absolutely. No shade or turn of rebellion in your heart. And this relationship with God, I believe to be incredibly challenging. The relationship with God where you get, it's the pat on the back relationship. I just want an encouraging work once a week so I can live my life and do it as I do it. I just need to hear about God once a week. That relationship with God, that's totally different. This is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a life that gives itself to God entirely. And God gives himself to it entirely. This beautiful relationship with God is incredibly challenging. And I dare say that when I see somebody say, look, I don't really have anything to pray about, I'm always like suspicious, like, well, how, how do you not have anything to pray about? I spend lots of time praying with God, God, create in me a clean heart and renew a contrite spirit. And it takes a lot of freaking time to talk to God about it. Turns out there's some things in my heart that aren't clean and aren't pure. And that my spirit is sometimes not at all contrite. It's not even con. It's not trite. It's not try. It is apt. I'm serious, guys. Like when we're praying to God in a legitimate way to be transformed by him, it actually takes us into the secret place. It takes us into the closet space. It says, I can't have anybody around. This is a little bit messy right now and a little bit ugly, and I got to talk to God about it. Now, if you're going through a list of your, of your sick friends and your dogs and your nieces and nephews this and the other and desires of others, and you're going through your little prayer list, cool, 90 seconds later when you're done praying for that, I can see how we can feel like we don't have a whole lot to say to God. But if you're spending time with the author and the perfecter of your life and you're yielding the totality of your life to him, turns out you got to have a lot of meetings. A lot of meetings. How many of you guys love meetings at work? Okay, yep, me neither. But I have flown from one extreme to the other. I used to uh, be a pastor leader at ICLV, and we met. That's all we did. We met, right? You just sit in a meeting, and then when you're in that meeting, you go to the next meeting, and the next meeting, and the next meeting. And then it just turns out this is kind of what, like, happens, right? Especially as a large church and stuff, you just meet, and you meet, and you meet, and then you meet about your meetings, and you meet about why things aren't happening, and then you just meet, and you meet, and you meet, and you meet. And then I come here, and I'm pastor at the mountain, and I'm like, hey, here's an idea. Let's never meet. Revelation, right? Just divine revelation from heaven said to me, never meet. Turns out you actually have to meet sometimes. <laughs> to my dismay, Mikey, you have to actually sit down and talk about what's going to happen. Uh, you got to sit down and talk through some logistics and plans because there's actually an exchange of information that has to happen here and there. So I flew from one extreme to the other. <clears throat> and while, you know, you might not be meeting all the time with God, there is some need to meet when you are living your life according to his will. Like, imagine that. 
imagine you're not living by your will, but God's will. How much do you need to meet with God in order for you to achieve that? Is it one hour a day? Is it 10 minutes and I got you, God, let's do it? Is it two hours? Is it four hours? Is it six hours? Is it different from one season to another? See, the, the reason I'm probing these questions is because I'm asking you to consider, what does it look like for you to live your life in the house of God as, as, as him being your Lord and administrator of your behavior, of your vocation, of your career, of your money, of your relationships, of your heart, of your mindset and intellect, of all your ideas and all your paradigms and all your desires and all your lust patterns? What does it look like to live a life that is yielded to that administration? What does that prayer life actually look like where you're praying, God created me a clean heart? Some people feel like uh, it's a selfish thing to pray about yourself in prayer, right? They're like, that's very selfish. I don't want to pray about myself. There's a lot of uh, starving people out there I should be praying about. <clears throat> um, so interesting thing about your relationship with God. I know sometimes in a very uh, spiritual way, we try and make it sound like we're, we're just talking to God about everybody else. But if you look in scripture and you see the model of how David prayed, you see the model of how great men and women of God prayed. If you yourself are not actually engaging in a transformative journey with God, then go ahead and set your prayers to the side because it's the prayers of a righteous man that prevail much. So first do this, address the issue of your life. And from a place of yieldedness and transformation, begin to pray for other people that are on the same journey or not and begin to ask God, God intervene in their life, God reconcile their soul to you and you begin to pray with an understanding and an empathy of what you're going through with God God, I need all kinds of grace for this. I need all kinds of understanding from you. I need all kinds of outpouring of your power into my life. So I know for sure Clayton needs it. I know for sure my wife needs it. I know for sure my mom needs it. So now I'm gonna pray with compassion. Now I'm gonna pray with understanding that God do it in them the way you're doing it in me and then even greater. And don't even do it according to the limit of my imagination, God, but do it according to the limit of your imagination, God. Do it with your wisdom. Do it with your insight. Apply grace to them according to your intellect, not mine. And you begin to pray prayers like Jesus prayed, like not, your, not my will, but yours be done. When they said to him, you're good, he said, no, I'm not good, my father's good. I'm only good because I do what my father does. And you begin to adhere to all of the nature of God. You begin to adhere to all of his ways and all of his attitudes because you have refused to allow even a little bit of yourself to remain. So can we live in relationship with God such that, such that we yield our entire life to the house of God? We all yield our entire will and emotional base, all of our history, all of our race, all of our money, all of our ideas, everything, we yield it all to God. We say, God, this, all of this, God, all of this, every single bit of this, you can be the Lord of my life. I give it all to you. I was praying with my friend Tim the other day. I was dealing with some things in my life and I was like, I was like, what does this look like? 
You know, what does it look like to really receive this there? What does it look like? How do you approach yourself in these places? So they begin, my friend Tim and Pam began to pray for me, and it was, it was so beautiful. I don't even know if I've told you the fullness of what happened there to me. But I was like, I felt like, and I told my wife this, I said, I felt like when they were praying for me, God was mending my actual soul. And you know, we, we, I think sometimes we live our life every single day and we kind of cruise through this thing. And so we, we forget that God could actually minister on a soul level to us, to the very depths of who we are, to the very essence of we, who we are. When you live in the house of God, it doesn't just skate the surface. It doesn't just lord over you. It actually lords in you, right? It begins to move and shape things. It doesn't only outline his will for us. It also gives us the ability to walk in it. It gives us the power and the grace. So interestingly enough, this holy and blameless thing can sometimes put a real weight of religion on us. We could take on this effort to be holy and and blameless through religious striving and effort. But it's in him we have redemption. In him we have redemption. Through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. Luckily, it takes nothing of our own merit and worth to get all of God except the willingness to give our life to him. I want to pray with you. Can you close your eyes? It's it's so shockingly simple when you get down to it, right? God, I don't have all the answers. I don't exactly know what to do. I don't have all the answers. I don't exactly know what to do. But I do know that I want to give you my life. And sometimes we make such a formalization of this moment of salvation that we forget that we're actually doing it every day. So like today, did I get saved for the first time today? No, but I did pick up my cross again today. I did choose to walk out my salvation again today. I did confess and admit that God still today, come to find out, I desperately need you. I desperately need you. I desperately need you, God. Thank you for listening to The Mountain Podcast. The Mountain Church is located in Las Vegas, Nevada, with services happening every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. If you'd like to know more about The Mountain Church, please visit us at themtnchurch.com or watch one of our services on YouTube. Again, thank you for tuning in.